Mark chapter 5. We're walking through Mark verse by verse, so if you're joining us today for the first time, you're joining us at a good time. This is an amazing text of Scripture that will hold your attention from beginning to end concerning an account of a miracle worked in a man's life that was full of demons. Uh, up to this point, Jesus has taught, and his teaching is amazing. People are asking, what kind of man is this? And sometimes Jesus employed stories that we call parables. Parables have been said to be earthly stories with a heavenly meaning so that we remember these stories, and we can recall them pretty easily, you know, like the story of the prodigal son. We can recognize and remember the, the characters in that drama, and we, we can retell it pretty easily. We, we know kind of the point of that story. Just before this, Jesus told the story of, of a farmer sowing seed and, and soils, and soils being different types of hearts, and we remember what Jesus means by that. So stories are very memorable. Uh, but this text deals with a miracle. And Jesus employed stories, but he also employed miracles to reveal himself. This was a earthly work with a heavenly meaning. A story, a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, this came on earth in heavenly power. And as you see it, you're going to be absolutely amazed by it. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one right near you. And if you'll grab that, the page number is on the screen. You can follow along as we read through this text in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you weren't here last week, um, they had gone across the sea by, on purpose. Jesus had a, an encounter with a man he needed to, to make, and he took the disciples into the sea and into a storm. And into a storm. I think it's very interesting. A gentleman said, this is my second week here. Today, you talked about what I needed to hear. Last week, you talked about a storm, and I'm in a storm. God knows what we need. God knows what we need. The disciples had to get through the storm so that they could see that Jesus was more powerful than a storm. In this text, we read, they go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He had lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Note that. Mark wants that to be clear. People tried, had some success in the past. Nobody could help this man. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, the man ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, or I beg you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And so here Jesus is saying to the unclean spirit in the man, Come out. And the unclean spirit is actually speaking to Jesus. Verse 9, 
Jesus asked a question, and it wasn't for Jesus' sake that he asked this question. It's not that Jesus didn't know the answer already, but it was for the sake of those standing around. He asked the demon this, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them, that's the demons, permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Just a footnote here, the article is that there is the steep bank, it still can be seen today where this actually occurred. This is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where Jesus had been ministering close to his homeland. It is a place called Decapolis, a, a ten city, uh, what we call the ten city land, ten cities that were pretty much indwelt by Gentiles. Uh, that's why you have pigs here. Jews would have not had herds of pigs. Verse 14, the herdsmen, then the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. You would think at this point, the people who came from the 10 cities who had lots of problems in their city council, in their government, in their schools, in their halls of education, in their homes, would have said, well, if this man can do that for a demon-possessed man, then Jesus, come fix our towns. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat. The man who had possessed with the demons asked him, can I go and be with you? And he did not permit him. Jesus said, no, go home to your friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Would you pray with me? This is the Word of God. Lord, thank you that you've given us this incredible account of a day in your life and this encounter with a man who was hopeless without you encountering him, engaging him, and saving him. Help us today not only to see the truth from this text we need to see in our own lives, but by the help of your Holy Spirit, and we desperately need your Holy Spirit. We desperately need you as much as this man was desperate for you. And apart from you, we're unable to do anything that would be pleasing to you, just as this man was unable. Help us by your Holy Spirit, not only to see these truths, but most importantly, to see Jesus, to see your Son exalted in this text. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what is the deep truth of this miracle? It's simply this. The Lord Jesus is mightier than any power that has you in its grip. He is. He's mightier than any power that has you in its grip. You might have a power that has had hold on you, sway over you for years, decades, and maybe you think you'll never be set free, but the Lord Jesus Christ is mightier than any, any power that has you in its grip. 
He's able to set you free today from whatever holds you captive so that you might live freely because the person who really is free is not the person who thinks he can do whatever he wants, but the person who's set to free to do whatever God wants him to do. A free person is the person who's able to do what God says to do. A free girl today, a free woman today is the one who's able to believe God and do what he says to do in the power of the Holy Spirit to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what freedom is. So we have to avoid some dangers as we approach this text. And here, let me just share with you. I'm not going to deal with everything in this text. There's just too much here uh, on a Sunday morning. But we'll cover some of this on Wednesday morning as we talk about how we are to deal with satanic forces. We're going to have a service on Wednesday morning. If you're available, if you're able to come at 11 o'clock, kind of pick up some of this discussion about satanic warfare and how Satan works. But today, I want you to uh, avoid some dangers and there are a lot here, but I'm only going to mention three. Number one, avoid the danger of thinking we live in only a material world. There are forces that we cannot see that are in operation today. They show up at churches. They show up at celebration parades. They work through governments and politics and policies. They work to do what they can to destroy the fabric of society. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. They are organized, and they are making an effort to do one thing, the same thing that we read about this man in this text, and that is to destroy lives. We live in a world we can see. We also live in a world where there are powers we cannot see, and they are real. Satan has great power. In Luke chapter 13, we can read about a woman that is bound by disease. Jesus sets her free. And then Jesus says, isn't it the right thing to do to free her from the grips of Satan? Satan has great ability. He actually brought disease on Job. Don't think that he can't. He can. Not every disease is from Satan, but he certainly can cause trouble and problems in our lives. In fact, Paul, on one occasion, asked God to set him free from a demon. He said, Lord, there's a, a, a messenger from Satan buffeting me. Would you set me free? A thorn in the flesh. Hey, the thorn in the flesh, you've heard me say this before, was not Paul's infirmities. It wasn't his eyesight or epilepsy or anything else anyone else makes of it. He says, the thorn in my flesh is a demon that is fighting against me. And you know what the Lord said? No, I'm just going to through this show. My grace is strengthening you. My grace is sufficient for you. So you, you can be actually oppressed by a devil. In fact, Paul said, we wanted to come to Thessalonica, and we wanted to finish up our mission work, which was God's will, but we were thwarted or we were opposed by the devil. Did you know there are times where you are doing the will of God, moving in the direction God wants you to move, and that you actually can be opposed by the enemy? We read how that in Revelation chapter 2, the, the church there in that passage is in the seat of the enemy's territory. We read in John chapter 13 how the enemy is constantly working. We read in Mark chapter 4 how the enemy, the devil, can come and steal away the word of God from people's hearts. We read in 1 John 3, 12, why? Because he's a murderer and a destroyer, and we have no power over him, but there is one who does, and that is whom we have our trust. So it's a dangerous opinion uh, 
It's a dangerous opinion to believe that we live in only a material world and everything that happens in this world is only because of the choices of men. Satan is active in this world. His devils and his demons are active in this world. Spiritual forces are active in this world. And did we not just witness that just, just past week when you see what goes on in our world, whether it is in our government officials or it is at a parade, how do you describe everything that happens in this world? Is it just the choices of men? Yes, yeah, sometimes it's the choices of men, and oftentimes we don't recognize that they are these men and women in our world controlled by evil forces. Um, you could go in two separate errors here. You've heard C.S. Lewis maybe talk about this. You can think that Satan is to be blamed for everything that happens to me. You know, if I have a flat tire, all oh, the devil's after me today. I was as sick this week as I've been in tw- since I was 26 years old. Um, and I think it was the devil. I mean, it was that bad. <laughs> or, or it might have been just a bug. And I think it was the latter. We can blame everything on the devil, and that would be wrong. But here's the danger. We don't give Satan enough credit. Here's the second danger. We do not have to be concerned with spiritual forces. Oh, we're Christians. Greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. We don't need to be concerned about spiritual forces. But we do. They certainly, these spiritual forces, acted in a unique way in Jesus' day. Jesus was on the scene, and devils were working at a fierce pace against the Lord. And this is why we read regularly about demon possession. And you say, well, I don't see the work of the devil like we see in the Gospels. Why is that? Well, um, maybe a couple of reasons. Certainly, the Lord Jesus Christ swept across a death blow to Satan's head at the cross. But that doesn't mean Satan's not still active in this world. He just acts more in subterfuge than he does out in front and center. He would rather not be recognized. He would rather not be pointed out. He would rather not be given credit. He would rather work underneath the surface. He comes as an angel of light, even with those who say that they are spiritual people and people of the faith. Let me, re- let me help you recognize something. When someone says they're spiritual, your ears need to perk up because there are only two spirits in this world, the Holy Spirit and then unclean spirits. If you're not possessed by the Holy Spirit, you're not a spiritual person as it relates to the heavenly will of God. If you are a spiritual person apart from the Holy Spirit, you are dabbling, if not more dangerously, moving into the direction of demonism. And our world loves the thought of being spiritual without being followers of Christ. Thirdly, we cannot relate to this story. Here's a, here's a danger. I, I don't, you know, that's great for this guy, but I can't relate to this story. It's the guy who told me just recently, hey, I, I'm glad Christianity worked for you, but I'm not as bad as you probably were. I was saved at 11. I had not robbed a liquor store up to that point. I wasn't a bad dude. I was just a sinner. But the thought is that only really bad people need Jesus. And if you look at the story, you look at the account, why is it that here are men living in Decapolis, the 10-city area ruled by mostly Gentiles, going through great difficulty, also struggling with sickness and illness that we can read about later, think, well, that's great that Jesus healed this man because he really needed help, but you get out of here, we don't need you, Jesus. It would be a huge mistake today to think that this story does not relate to us. 
Jesus came to save the moral as well as the immoral. He came to save the down and out as well as the up and out. Jesus came to save sinners, of which we all are. And even believers, it would be a real mistake. Believers, if you look at this and say, this is a great text for the unbeliever. This is a wonderful, incredible, important text for believers. Paul said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Think about that word, bewitched. Who's done wizardry on you? Who's cast a spell on you that you would think, talking to the church, that you would think that you were saved by grace, but now you work in the flesh? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing of the law of faith? Are you foolish, having begun in the Spirit and now are being perfected in the flesh? What I want you to see here is that this man had no hope if Jesus didn't show up. This man had no hope if Jesus didn't show up. This church service has no hope if Jesus does not show up. You have no hope, and I have no hope without Jesus. One man said that he felt like as he became a Christian, he got a ticket, a certificate, and a catalog. He got a ticket to heaven when he got saved. He got a certificate that said that he was saved and couldn't be lost. And then he got a catalog called the Bible. And he just needed to figure out what in here he needed to add to his life. It's kind of like going to the supermarket, he said. I would go to the supermarket, and I would see I need some produce, and I need some, I need some grain, and I need some bread, and, and, and I, need some, I need some meat. And I would just add those things to my cart. And that's the way I read the Bible. He said, well, I need to be more loving. So I tried to be more loving and I need to be more peaceful and I need to be at peace. And so I tried to add peace to my life and I need to be more gracious. And so I tried to add grace to my life, but I got exhausted, he said, in that endeavor. Until I realized I wasn't saved by my flesh and my, my work. I was saved by grace and through faith and the spirit of God who worked in me. Then I need to rec- recognize I cannot do what this catalog says to do unless I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who comes to live inside me to fuel my life. It would be a mistake for you as a, not as a Christian to read this account. Think this has nothing to do with us because you see a man who tried everything. Everybody around him tried to help him. Nothing could be done for him. Nobody could control him. No work of the flesh, no work of man could help this guy out. And the truth of the matter is that's where we are today even as saved people. It is not our work and our effort that is enabling and and, and fueling our sanctification. It is a regular and daily recognition of, I need Jesus. And if he doesn't show up, then I'm in trouble. Look at this. He will show up. And I love this because he cares, doesn't he? No one cares like Jesus cares. Here's a picture. And, And by the way, as you look in this story, let's get into it. And um, I'm going to give you real quickly kind of a snapshot of this story, a snapshot, a picture. You know, when you, when you see a picture, everybody does the same thing. What do you do when you look at a picture? You, you look at yourself. And someone says, look, your eyes are closed. Well, I was praying for everybody. Don't look for yourself in this so much as you need to look for Jesus because he's the point of this story. Number one, Jesus cares. Jesus cares about a man that others saw as a lost cause. I think about this as, as Jesus goes across the sea, across the sea, and a storm comes up. Remember just previous to this, if you weren't here last week, just previous 
to this account, Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples and they go across the sea and then a sovereign storm showed up so that the Lord Jesus stood up when the disciples asked this question, do you not care? They don't know how much he cares. He cares so much that he's willing to get in a boat, go across the sea in a storm because he has one demon-possessed man to meet with. He cares, right? Do you not care that we're perishing? He came to the other side, look in verse 1. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there was a man out of the tombs that met him with an unclean spirit. Now this may appear this man was ready to meet Jesus, but we learn later that no, he was not. Jesus was there to meet him. Jesus came near to him. Jesus showed up when everyone else ran out. Jesus came along this seashore. I've seen it. It's an amazing seashore. If you were to look up from this seashore and see these cliffs, you would see caves that look like skulls. This is where people are buried, and this is where this man lives. Nobody would go there. Nobody would show up there, but Jesus did. And he'll show up to your life. I mean, it would have been a foreboding place for anyone to show up. I don't even know what the disciples would have said, but they would have probably stayed in the boat and just watched Jesus. I'm just picturing this in my mind. If I'm, I'm with Jesus, I'm like, let's see what happens here. I, I don't know about you guys. Um, I go to a lot of cemeteries. A lot of them. I don't like going to them at night. I don't know why. I just don't. Yeah, I do know why. Jesus showed up when no one else would show up. This scene looked like something out of a horror flick. Look in verse 3. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This is a reality. Spiritual issues cannot be confronted by human means. Men tried to help this man to no avail. Mark this down. Reformation may work for a while, but Jesus did not come to reform your life, but to transform your life so that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. And believer, listen to me, he is constantly transforming you. And if you can't look at last week and see a place where God's Holy Spirit stepped into your life, pressed on your heart and said, this needs to be fixed, then believer, you are already backslidden. This is a painful process, but it is a regular process of our lives where Jesus steps in. Why, what hope does this man of ever having be made whole? I mean, I'm sure at some point this man must have asked the question, who will deliver me? Who can help me? This man did not know Jesus, but Jesus knew this man. And today, Jesus knows who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what desperation is happening, discouragement or depression. You see the end of where Satan wants to take this man to destruction, to self-destruction, to even death. That's where the devil wants to work in your life. He's not happy with just you being down. He wants you down, then he wants you discouraged. And he's not happy with you just being discouraged. He wants you discouraged, and he wants you depressed. And he doesn't want you just depressed. He wants you to check out. He's a liar. He'll say your life is not worth living. Your life is not worth moving on. If you ever have this in your life, it is not something to be embarrassed about or be ashamed of. It is something that every person who is a human being who has blood running through their veins deals with, but not all at the same level. And if there is in this moment, as we speak in this church, someone here who's at a place of desperation, I would encourage you to know Jesus cares. He really does. So do we. 
You might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what a mess I've made of it. You don't know how I've tried to fix it. And every time I try to fix it, it makes it worse. He cares. Our God created you. He formed you. He purposed you. And he'll transform you if you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at his power. He cares. He cares and he has power to overcome no matter what you're going through. Secondly, Jesus commands a demon horde here. Look at his power. He not only cares, he's able to care for you beyond just compassion. There are a lot of people who felt sorry for this man, tried to help this man, could do nothing for this man. But Jesus not only cared, he was able to control what was controlling this man. For years, the devils had enjoyed power over this one who was God's own special creation. And now the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, will confront these devils with all power and authority. Look at verse 5. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This is nothing more than like a needle in a compass that is drawn to a magnet. It was Jesus who first came. That's why this man now runs. It is true for all of us that Jesus comes to us because he cares and loves us. And he doesn't just come to us because he cares and loves us. He comes to change us. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me? Jesus, the son of the most high. I beg you, I adjure you, do not torment me. And crying out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? My goodness. The demons recognized Jesus as the Son of the Most High. The disciples asked the question, who then is this man? The demons, they recognized Jesus. And they begged Jesus to leave. They begged Jesus to leave because of the hardness. And I want you to see just kind of the characteristics of devils and demons, spiritual forces that work against us. They are hard. They are hard. They are stubborn. They will not repent and they will not relent. They will not repent and they will not relent. And anyone, anyone who does not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ is acting in concert with spiritual forces. Rebellion in our heart is as witchcraft, the Bible says. Why? Why is rebellion in our heart like witchcraft? Because we act like the devils when we won't submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate Jesus. It doesn't come across maybe in the English, what do you have to do with us? But what they mean by that is, we have nothing to do with you. They hate Jesus. Don't miss the irony here. Not only are they hard, hateful people, beings, I should say, they are so hypocritical. Are you going to torment us? They knew that their ultimate destiny was hell. Their ultimate destiny was torment forever. And they have the gall to ask the question, are you going to do to us what we're doing to this man? Do we really deserve that kind of torment? What hypocrisy. It's in the heart of men to not want to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be hard, and even to blame things on God that are not his doing, that are really the doing of sin and brokenness and corruption in our world, in our own choices, to say to God, why have you allowed this to happen in my life? Why did you allow this person to do this to me? Why did you allow this event to occur? And to begin to blame God for what is not God's. Oh, the hypocrisy in all of that. Jesus reveals his authority. He asked the man his name. Now, this is a unique story to Mark because in Matthew, you don't have Jesus asking the name, but Jesus knows the demon's name. The demon says, Legion. 
A legion was about 6,000 Roman soldiers. It was uh, helpful in that vernacular for people to understand that this demon is saying, there's a bunch of us, and what are you going to do about it? Jesus wanted to point out, didn't matter how many demons were there, he was greater than them all. Jesus had power and authority over them. So the demons had no authority, even to stay or go. They then begged Jesus, would you send us into the pigs? The pigs there, again, just a reminder, this is a Gentile area, and there's the, therefore the reason for the pigs, the, the, the herd there. And the, the, the begging to go into a, a pig, just a couple of things here. Devils had no home. They wonder, and they still wonder throughout the earth. They have no home, and they never will. I mean, we have a homeless problem in America. We see people coming into our nation that are homeless. And it's probably one of the most heartbreaking things to observe, someone who is homeless. For whatever reason, they're homeless. It's still heartbreaking. It's why we do homeless ministry. It's why we take blankets and food. And when it's cold, we try to help those who are homeless. To not have a home, to never be able to have a home, or never have a home to go to. That's the devils, by the way. They'll never have a home. They'll never hear, welcome home. You're home. They're going to hell. They have no home. This is what the devil wants for every person, to never know what it is to hear the Father say, welcome home. Could you imagine dying without a home? One of the great privileges of a believer's life is that we have the assurance that one day we will hear, enter in. Where? Home. We have a home, y'all. We have a home because Jesus left his home, became homeless on this earth, had nowhere to lay his head, so that we would never, ever be people without a home. This man has a home waiting for him that he's left, but he's not able to go there because of his, his situation. Why did, why did the, Jesus give these uh, pigs um, to the devils or the devils to the pigs? Well, there's some reasons here. Um, I, I think first and foremost is this. Jesus values one soul more than 2,000 pigs, Peter. I, I our world's gone crazy about animals. I don't know why it is we can go to a movie, we can see 15,000 people wiped out by Rambo, but kill one dog and everybody in the theater's crying. Jesus cares more about a soul than he does about 2,000 pigs. He cares about you. Because really what matters is your soul. You are a soul. You are an eternal soul. You are built to last. You will live forever or you will die forever. He cares more about you than you even care about yourself. It was also to demonstrate that this man truly was set free from demons so that people who witnessed it would say this, we saw what happened. It was real. These devils came out of this man, and we know they were devils because they went into pigs, and then the pigs, you know what they did? They, they took a swan dive or a swine dive. I know, I know all the jokes, but not really mattering here, all right? They committed suicide. And now look at the man. 
The pigs are dead, and the man is clothed and in his right mind. This last point is this. Jesus then takes this disciple now. He's a disciple now. He commissions a disciple that no one could have ever expected. Look in verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what that had happened to this demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The word to beg is mentioned here several times, isn't it? The devil's beg, please don't send us into hell, the abyss, please leave us, please send us into the pigs. The people of the city beg Jesus, leave. Why is it that man avoids the only answer to society's ills? We, we are regularly reading in America that we have a work, work ethic dilemma. What is the answer to the work ethic dilemma? Well, ask the people in the 1600s who, through the Reformation, heard for the first time the truth that we were made by God for God to work for the glory of God, and it changed Western society. And we're here today experiencing incredible joys and pleasures of earth because there was a spiritual Reformation that caused people to realize our work ethic is built on Scripture, not on humanistic ideologies. Why do we think that the way to fix marriage is to redefine it? Why do we think that if we're going to help a man love his family, that we're going to have to teach him how to be in touch with his feminine side? How about, how about getting a hold of his masculine side? Because God told men, don't act like a female. It is a sin to act that way. There's a glory in being masculine. It's right to be a man. It's right to lead. The, the order of the church is Christ is head of the church. And the man is head of the wife. And when we get things out of order and Christ is not head of the church and the man is not the head of his home, man, everything in society goes haywire. And we're experiencing it in droves. And what's the answer? Oh, we just need to capitulate. We need to redefine marriage. We even as a church in America are trying to decide, should we redefine what a marriage is? The answer is clear. Jesus, 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 who has given us an order for life and for freedom. Why is it then that we don't start with God? The Bible starts with God. Can I just break it down to our own level here? When things enter into our life, what do we do? Where do we run? How do we get answers? Where do we get counsel? The Bible says, in the beginning, God. Can I encourage you? I wish I'm doing shorthand here because time is running out. But can I just encourage you that if you don't start with God, you're going to end up in the wrong place? Whether it is in counseling, in decision-making, in parenting, in business, in government. If we don't start with God, we will always end up in the tombs. The deliverer man begs to go with Jesus, doesn't he? Can I just go with you? This has been wonderful for Jesus' itinerant ministry. I mean, Jesus is going from city to city. He could put him on the platform, and this man could share his testimony, how that for years he was living homeless. He was away from his family and friends in tombs. He was cutting himself. Here's the scars still to show. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. I didn't know he was going to show up, but Jesus showed up, and he took the devils that were in me, and there were a legion of them. And I know it because when they left, they went into pigs, and those pigs committed suicide, and everyone that was there saw 
saw it, testified, and everyone in the 10 cities of Decapolis, they're talking about it even to this day, and here I am. Look at me. You can be just like me. That would have been an awesome, awesome testimony. We heard it this week. I mean, I just picked up on it this week on, well, is Patrick Mahomes a Christian? Is Brock Purdy a Christian? Is, is, man, I, I'm grateful that we have guys in the limelight that name the name of Christ. Gals that are on big stages that name of Christ. But God hasn't chosen to use the wise and noble and the people of pedigree in this world to preach the gospel, but regular old people who go back to their home and tell their friends everything that Jesus has done for them. I'm glad because that's me. It's probably you. It's here that this man is told, go back to your home. Go back and tell your friends. This is going to be the first time in a long time that he's been able to go and be with his friends and certainly to be back at home. But he's to go there and witness what? The mercy of Christ and to reclaim, reclaim what was stolen from him by the enemy. Some of you know exactly what it's like. When this man, you can picture it, goes back to his house. We don't know anything about his life. We don't know if he has a family, but I like to think he probably had a wife and had kids. What a difference Jesus makes in a home. Dad, don't. Father, husband, granddad, don't look at this man and say, well, he was really out of it. What a story. But see the power of Jesus in you and through you as he restores you to your rightful place of leadership in your home. Well, it's a lot easier if you've been demon-possessed and you show up and now you're not to say to your family, I'm a changed man. Where did you get that idea? I wonder how much restoration had to take place in this man's life if he had gone this far. I don't know if he's stolen anything or he had taken or hurt people physically, but if he'd gone this far into demonization, if sin had taken control of his life this deeply, there had to be a lot of hurt back home. A lot of hurt back home. Here's, here's the reality. He went home and his, everything was changed. If you go back and read in Mark chapter 7, you're going to see that when Jesus comes back to this area that people come to meet him in droves. We read from other gospels, probably around 4,000 people showed up to hear Jesus. Why? Because this man's testimony back home was so powerful that people wanted to know this Jesus that changed his life. Men, ladies, there's probably a lot of restoration that needs to take place in, in our homes. We can't look at this man and say, we cannot identify with this. No, we can identify with this because it doesn't matter what you've lived like. Maybe you've been a great husband, a great wife, and you've done your best and worked hard to serve and be moral and kind and faithful. But at the same time, don't you know how much Jesus wants to control your home and your marriage and your parenting? 
and he can restore. And you can see reclaimed what the enemy has stolen. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? This Jesus cares. He cares about you. He cares about where you are. He cares so much that he's able to show up. And when he shows up, he doesn't just have compassion. He has power over anything that has us in his grip to set us free to live for him. And to live for him in the most important places of all, where we live. He can change your life. Father, thank you that you've given us this text. What an incredibly powerful text this morning. I pray, God, as we move into this time of thanksgiving through the Lord's Supper and invitation, that we will respond to you in a way, God, that honors you. Uh, God, that we will take on our responsibilities in the power of your spirit, not in the flesh, not in our own power, but, God, submitting to you the way, God, you want us to, submitting our hearts to you, confessing our sin, confessing our need for you, confessing our helplessness and hopelessness apart from you, confessing we really are a lost cause if Jesus doesn't show up but you have showed up. You have given us your spirit. You've not left us as orphans. You do care for us, and you have given us the ability to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit to fulfill the law of love right there, even in our own homes. May today be a day when you restore homes and lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.